Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, today, as we keep counting down our uh, 2019 uh list of movies we are gonna do the two popes the netflix original two popes um and then i'm gonna do a quick richard jewel minute because i missed that uh last podcast due to the birth of a child got in the way uh, and then all the excuses uh, yeah, excuses. excuses that's all i heard and then we're going to look forward to 2020 with our top five most anticipated movies of the next year. Yeah, this is the first podcast of 2020. It's exciting. Woo! What is that plant? It's oregano. Your gardener gave it to me. You're very popular. I just try to be myself. Whenever I try to be myself, people don't seem to like me very much. Confidential church documents were allegedly leaked to the press. Alleging corruption and misconduct among the clergy. I hope this business is not too distressing. Does a shepherd run away with the wolves up here? We are moving in directions I can no longer condone. I've struggled to do what must be done, but I've lost. Hopes can't resign. If you do this, you will damage the papacy forever. I can no longer sit on the chair of St. Peter. You are mistaken. You are science. I cannot play this role anymore. All right, guys. So we uh, took a look at Netflix's The Two Popes. Uh, a lot of that has to do with me because I just had a new baby and um, getting to the theater, at least for the next uh, Two few years. weeks couple months might be a little tricky but we're still trying to catch up on all the films that came out in 2019 especially the ones that we think are going to be up for some fixie awards um coming up shortly so we wanted to look at the two popes which uh stars anthony hopkins and jonathan price in the the title roles uh to well one very acclaimed actor and then one most people go oh that's the guy from game of thrones um, where he played the same character. Where he played a, a very similar <laughs> character. Um, but so here's a movie about two old white guys that are arguing basically over one of the most powerful institutions in all the world. Uh, it's about the Catholic Church, which they even you know talk about how the catholic church is sort of dying and they're losing people and it's it's not that relevant anymore um so we have a movie that's sort of talking about all these uh, these things that don't seem that don't seem that relevant anymore i mean who really wants to sit down and watch any movie about you know uh basically a story about a conversation about the catholic church um in, in 2019. So my question to you guys is, where did you find the relevancy of this movie? Like, what were you able to take away uh, from this film that you, you know, can you, like, talk about to other people? Well, I, I think that there's a debate in the film that, that it kind of echoes one that's been going on. I mean, this... From what I remember of this converse of the movie, it takes most of the movie takes place like two thousand like twelve. Is that correct? Like he yeah. he um, ascend he left the papacy. Yeah, so basically, in 2013. 
Yeah, so the movie's about, uh, you know, Anthony Hopkins' character, who is Pope Benedict, um, who was the pope elected after, uh, uh, what was it? John uh, Paul. John one Paul of the John Pauls. died. And um, then he was elected as pope, and he was the first pope in hundreds of years to then uh, step down. And uh, that's when Pope Francis uh, was elected after. So this this whole movie is basically the conversation between those two men who are sort of opposed in their theology and how they sort of reckon with where the church is going or where it's been, um, you know, in, in that time in that time period. Yeah, and so I think the th- this must happen around 2013, most of the larger conversations in the film, which, you know, is not that long ago, but the the main, I think, topic that they discuss is the sort of relevancy of the church and becoming the church sort of modernizing with the guy who becomes Pope Francis. Sorry, I don't, like, actually know his name. Um, Jorge Bergoglio. Bergoglio. Bergoglio uh, is a sort of a little more liberal and, and believes more in the kind of um, charitable role of the church and, and, and um, has proven to be quite a, I don't know, I mean, I don't know if liberal is the right word, but not quite I as conservative is, yeah. uh, pope, especially compared to Ratzenberg. But... Um, Ratzinger. Ratzinger, whatever. <laughs> uh, and I, uh, I, I think... Um, I think that that's a conversation that a lot of people are having, and and, and of course, well, is like, that a conversation you'd want? Like, I guess my my question is is like, is that a conversation you would want to be having, or or even interested in having, if we didn't watch this movie? Is did this movie drive at something you wanted to ultimately discuss? Yes. Well, what what I think is interesting. So there's a point in this movie, and it's their first conversation when when Pope Francis or or the soon to be Pope Francis and the current Pope Benedict get together and meet each other. And they are seriously at odds on their opinions of the world and the church and and just their general political opinions. And you get a pretty clear uh, good guy, bad guy here, I think. This movie really kind of takes a side at that moment. But that's the only time that it does. Other than that, I found this movie to be really fair in its with its characters. And it allowed both of them to voice their opinions and... It didn't try to convert anybody. It didn't try to manipulate us. And I think that was a smart choice because you have a movie like this in today's day and age. I mean, like you said, it takes place about <clears throat> eight years ago, but so much of what they talk about is is still very, very relevant. It's very easy for this movie to just kind of fall into a, you know, a liberal Hollywood bucket. You know what I mean? But I think it does a good job of representing the Catholic Church well and the history of the Catholic Church well and how important that conservative viewpoint of the Catholic Church is to so many people around the world. And I liked how, without being this, like, you know, movie about how great Catholicism is and how important it is to people, it still showed that. It still showed how important these elections of the Pope were and how important it was when, uh, towards the end of the movie, Pope Benedict walks through the hall of the church where all these tourists are, and you have people down on their knees, and, like, they're just so thrilled to see him. And I just think that it represented it this 
time period and these characters in a very honest way. And that, combined with the performances of Hopkins and Price, allowed me to just be 100% invested and interested in everything that they were talking about. Which I think is kind of amazing, because this this movie is sort of a fly on the wall a little bit. Totally. Uh, it's like a my movie. dinner with Andre type of thing. Yeah, you're just, wa- you're just listening to these two guys, uh, you know, talk about what, you know, is important to them, which, of course, is uh, leading this religion leading this catholic church um and it never gets into it never gets into arguments it never gets into this like super dramatic area which it really could have gone i mean they you know they touch on a lot of things they touch on the scandal uh you know which is probably one of the most in like in the forefront of, of most people's mind when they think of the Catholic Church, um, you know, with the priests being pedophiles, they touch on it, but it's never it's you know not they don't elevate anything to the point where it becomes that becomes the drama of it. It's really about well, the conversation. I, I was going to hold off on this because this was uh, I mean we can get into it. I I they don't get into that scandal all that much they reference it anthony hopkins uh pope benedict admits that he knew about a a particular priest or cardinal that um was involved and didn't do anything and asks for forgiveness um which is obviously a a, you know a, a pivotal and moving scene but they don't get into it too much but they do get really into jonathan price's history and what he feels like is his unforgivable sin of basically abandoning um, some of his fellow priests, Jesuit priests, during a civil war in Argentina. Um, and I found that aspect to be maybe the least interesting part of the movie, if only because we only saw the backstory about his so-called unforgivable sin, where we just touched on Pope Benedict's. I think I would have liked to see sort of an equal representation of that. So, yeah, maybe it's better that they didn't get too into the drama that we all know about. But I do think to kind of establish these characters a little bit, it would have been interesting to see that done the same with each one of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. I do think there was a little, probably a purposely done lack of balance there where, um, it like, uh, Pope Francis is is the main character here. I mean, it's really about his story. He gets the flashbacks. Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, they have pretty equal screen time if you exclude the younger, you know, Jorge Bergoglio. Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins pretty much share this movie. The whole thing's about them having a conversation. But I think the fact that they give um, give, uh, him the flashbacks sort of puts the viewer a little bit or leans the viewer towards his side uh, a bit. Well, did we answer your question? I mean, I I, I, th- I took... I, my favorite parts of this movie, 100%, I don't know how much anybody would argue with this, is these conversations between Hopkins and Price. And like you oh, said, yeah. it's sort of a fly-on-the-wall movie. Sometimes it almost doesn't matter what they're talking about when you have two actors, you know, working at this level. Uh, I think that it's, you know, great to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's one of the hardest things to do in cinema is to have 
a film be about the performances and the dialogue and the conversation, because that's not necessarily a cinematic thing. I mean, you reference My Dinner with Andre, which is, uh, you know, a perfect example. I mean, neither of these movies are essentially cinematic. I mean, they're there are two people talking and we you have to have good enough screenwriting you have to have good enough acting you have to have uh good enough directing to keep an audience engaged with that uh with that alone i i guess yeah and let's get into that because i think what's unfortunately i at least it seems at this point is going to get totally overlooked is what fernando mireles did with this movie and and that goes just from the stylistic choices he made to making just these conversations interesting. And I loved everything he did from the from the ABBA music to the Beatles music to the the editing in this movie I, I thought was masterful. Well, I do... Okay, so I, I agree. I think he did a great job. The one thing I, I felt was a bit all over the place was the cinematography. I thought some of it was amazing, but I thought it, it just couldn't, the movie couldn't choose if it was going to be like a Paul Greengrass movie <laughs> or it was going to be a French New Wave movie. Like it was, the cinematography felt all over the place and and it was to the point where it was distracting. I remember there was that one scene where they were walking in the woods where they seemingly yeah. got lost and there was, it, it was like all of a sudden Michael Mann took over and we were watching The Insider as everything was hmm. uh, super close-ups and then there was that weird, um, I think it was supposed to be a bug sound that sort of took over the audio at that point. Um, I mean, yeah. some of the some of the decisions were definitely distracting. Oh, see, uh, I loved every... I, those all worked for me. And it, it's interesting you brought up the cinematography because... Um, Obviously, uh, Fernando Morales, I think, is most known for City of God. Cesar Chalon um, shot that movie as well. And, like, I was sort of scratching my head with the two popes. I was just like, this seems like a weird director to be doing this. But then the very first scene of the movie kind of has the same look and feel as City of God. It even has kind of a voiceover that seems similar. So he, he definitely brought his auteurism to this movie. And I guess, you know, he, you can you know, find some of the decisions he made distracting. For me, I thought it worked and was essential to making this movie something other than just my dinner with Andre, which is what I sort of liked so much about what he did. Like, you you kind of had this artistic feeling about this movie that, you know, isn't there in that movie, which is just literally a conversation at a dinner table. Right. Um, I, I guess I just wanted some more reasoning behind sure. each decision because yeah. it definitely was was in the moment um it, it drew your attention to it and some of fair. it was yeah. and, and some of it was really beautiful some of the flashback scenes i mentioned like french new wave like some of the uh some of the black and white cinematography like it was really beautiful but it also felt like several different movies in one and I don't mind any of those styles as long as there's a reason right. for them and it doesn't take you sort of out of the film yeah I mean I was so surprised how interested I was in these conversations these gentlemen were having and at one point the I was just like yeah the style the style is getting in the way of I mean you're noticing it right it's like it's like when you know it's that old debate you know with with uh, 
like music, for example, in film. It's like, is it good if we're noticing a, a film score? Right. You know, like when it stands out if, and it's really good, it, that's great. Like, oh, this is a very unique score. I can listen to this outside of a film. But then when it becomes noticeable, that's not really a good thing. Or when you notice editing, you don't want to notice editing. And at the same time, you don't want to notice, you know, the cinematography or the way um, his style is getting in the way of it. But I mean, I honestly did, like, I notice it, but I. I could let it go because I was so interested in what was happening on screen and the relationship between these two men. And, you know, you, you considering what I just said, you have to give credit to the director for, you know, not, for most of the time keeping that stuff, you know, visually interesting. And I think he did a fantastic job with that. Totally. And it's interesting that, you, I mean, I, I, I noticed all the, you know, Things that Morales did here, I liked them all. I so I guess I I agree and understand what you guys are saying that maybe some of them lacked some motivation or something. But for me, the motivation was to how to make this more interesting, how to how to take this movie that's essentially about a conversation about the future and past of Catholicism and where these two characters are going with their lives, and how to make that more interesting cinematically. And I I think that that's what those stylistic stylistic choices did for me and that's why I loved them so much like I literally walked away from this movie aside from obviously Hopkins and Price thinking this is one of the best directed movies I've seen this year well I think I think to my point like yeah I, I feel like him doing the making those decisions is kind of like don't be bored don't be bored look uh, look over here like I think he had the formula already right. I think between these actors and the and yeah, so leave it script, alone. leave it alone a bit. I mean, or or just choose one and stick with it. Um, so I think that was his attempt at elevating something that maybe didn't need to be elevated any more than it already scenes, was. But what about scenes like just the way he cuts together the 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 scenes where they're electing the new pope, and he sort of has this kind of you know, you, yeah, you like kind that. of figure out how they do it, right? Like they put it. They, they write down their votes. They put in a little uh, ping pong ball to say that they voted. And then they tally the votes based on like by putting them on yarn or something like you kind of figure out how they do it just by him cutting it together quickly. And, and yeah. then and I think that stuff like you don't have, you know, the great acting to hold your attention in those scenes. He has to make that interesting some way. And I thought that was a good way to do it. I, I thought I compared it kind of sort of immediately to. Um, the all Gold Canyon in the Coen Brothers movie last year, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, when we kind of learned how he was finding the gold just by watching him, you know, dig some things up, put a stake in the ground, and and move on. Like we sort of learned this process the same way, and you know that's pure cinema. I thought that was great. Yeah, no, I thought that was effective for sure. I think that um, had he not done it that way, uh, it would have lacked. Um, a bit of drama there, but I want to I want to talk a little bit about Jonathan Price and his performance in this, um, because he's not he's not the established actor Anthony Hopkins is, no. you know. Right. But he's an older he's an older guy. He's been around for a while. You know, a lot of people may recognize he's him from this or that. Yeah. He's a character actor, and here he is, basically. Uh, you know, one of the biggest reasons he gets the role is just his um, how much he resembles uh, Pope yeah. Francis. <laughs> so I thought he was oh fantastic. So and, good. <laughs> you know, it kind of, it, it's almost infuriating a little bit that 
actors like this can go their whole lives and not get the roles that, you know, really showcase their skills. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you, I mean, you have to watch the movie to see it. I don't know how you describe a performance this good because it's quiet. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not a showy performance at all. It's about Pope Francis, who is a very humble, quiet person. And I mean, yeah, like what else? He nails it. It's so good. It's so fascinating and interesting to watch. Uh, I think that you immediately are drawn to him and are interested in him. But And that's where I got a little bit frustrated with the backstory because it, it did occupy a good amount of the movie and I just wanted to be back to him and Hopkins. And I just feel like, you know, yeah, I guess like we need to kind of understand his demons and, you know, part of who he is is his humility and like how something like what he did can just kind of haunt him his whole life and make him feel like he isn't worthy of a position as the Pope, you know, never mind maybe even, or just, you know, he might not even feel like he's in position to be a Cardinal or a Bishop. Um, So I think that's all important to his character to see that. But, when you have somebody, when you have somebody performing so well, and is you're so drawn to him, like I, I found myself less interested in the movie when we weren't watching him. Yeah, I was thinking. I went for a hike before I watched this movie, and I was actually thinking about a uh, Anthony Hopkins performance, and I was trying to think about why. I, I may be listening to one of our podcasts. I think I might have listened to the Richard Jewell one where we talked about what makes a really good performance, and. To me, I was thinking about this Anthony Hopkins performance where he, I would describe it as he, him being so layered. And this is a different movie, not this movie. Um, and I, I, having these sort of conf, conflicting, both layers and sort of conflicting emotions in one, um, in one performance. And so I think you guys are right. Like um, Jonathan Price's character, he's humble, but he's also um, full of conviction. And he's also... Yeah. Um, he also can't help himself in a way um, about like he's he's humble, but he can't not say what he believes, right. and and I think that that's a really difficult thing to show, and like that is the essence of his character is this man who is in this position where he's full of conflict and full of tension, but he wants, but he also, as you tell, as you know, when he tries to convince um, Ratzinger to stay. He believes in the in the doctrines and the tenets right, of the right. church, and so it's like this 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 dichotomy that you see within him. Yeah, the whole time you're like, but you'll be a better pope. Yeah, <laughs> you're the man for the job. But you 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 believe him when he says that he believes that it can't happen that way. Absolutely, totally. And the other thing, another credit to these actors, and I don't know how much Hopkins does it totally, but both of these actors do a really convincing accent yes for their I thought, I for their nationality prices was particularly good so i don't think good. i don't know that Anthony Hopkins was doing much of one but i mean yeah so he plays a german i don't know i think feel like maybe he put a little bit in i don't really know what anthony hopkins's accent is in real life so but oddly um, enough uh jonathan price's spanish was dubbed by really? somebody else yeah it was somebody else I, i'm almost positive huh. and i was so impressed that he learned this whole language yeah <laughs> uh, what a sh- what a <laughs> fast performance. Uh, um, um, I I have a question for you guys. Okay. So, 
did does the scale of this movie will that will that change anything in your guys's estimation when this comes around for when you got to start tallying up your fixie votes what do you mean by scale like it's a small or, movie it's a, or it's lack a converse, of scale. yeah lack of scale yeah. it's not it's not this I don't know they built the 16th chapel there they did that was they impressive. did build the 16th chapel <laughs> um but can you not film I imagine you probably can't film it no the they wouldn't let them film it right? yeah. yeah um Especially a movie that may be critical, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, like, can we come in here and say this? I'm gonna just. <laughs> and I and, and a side note, I thought that that was a nice way of like I think being surrounded by all. I wish they would have done more of that, where they're looking up at the at the ceiling and and all like you sort of feel the immense immense importance of the history and mm-hmm. and and the architecture and how that kind of like you know informed their conversations a little bit. But I guess I just mean. I mean, I really, really enjoyed this movie a lot. I had, a, I, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. But yeah, me too. I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, just you know, di- like to your opening question a little bit, Jeremy. Like, if this movie isn't horribly relevant, or if this movie isn't, you know, have the sort of grand scale of an Irishman, or, um, you know maybe yeah. 1917 or whatever, what other movies that'll be up against in the fixie vote. Nobody cares about the other award shows, but when it comes up with the fixie vote, you know, will, will, will it scale change anything for you? I honestly uh, don't I, think so. Yeah. I don't think so either. I mean, this is, I don't, I don't want to reveal too much of my thoughts cause they obviously will change and there's still a lot of movies to see, but this at this moment is a, a serious contender in a number of categories for me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would agree. Imagine, imagine being the art director and being like, "Oh, I'm just gonna take this small uh, Netflix thing. Yeah. Maybe take a, take a, you know, take it easy on this." It'll one be three and weeks, three war. months yeah. in Rome. It'll be super easy. Yeah, yeah, we'll be able to go fine. out every night. Actually, like, like, okay, it, we're gonna guys, need the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, can, uh, <laughs> can you build the Sixteen Chapel? Oh, fuck! <laughs> we can't. We can't. We just got the word. We can't shoot in the Vatican. Oh, yeah. fuck! Uh, so I have like, to do the greatest work of art. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, but to answer your question, I, I that definitely didn't uh, come into my mind as far as just the scale of it. And sometimes it being a smaller scale, it emphasizes other things. Uh, it's e- it's easier to see other aspects of of a film on smaller scale because you know you're not distracted by how much money they put into it or you know all. all all the huge names and extras and all that sort of thing. You can kind of concentrate on things that are most important. Is the mm. budget available anywhere? I can't. Yeah, it's not I, on IMDb. I can't seem to find it. Um, you know, well, I will tape and you'll understand this appreciation that I have for this movie is they didn't f- like fuck around with like random accents when it was time to speak a native language. They spoke the native language and put subtitles. When it was time to speak English, they spoke English. And yeah. I was like, it just adds to the authenticity. Like, I've I've oddly been thinking a lot about this, like, hang-up I have. And I, I feel like I've softened on it a little bit. Because you said something about some movie a long time ago, Chapin, that sort of stuck with me with, like, it matters until it doesn't. And yeah, I kind of I, think of... I think it's Schindler's I, List is the, is the example that I gave you. Right. So, like, who cares? Like, the movie's great. Like, just doesn't matter. And so I've thought about that, and I, I feel like I've softened on that hang-up a little bit. But when I watch a movie like this and I see it done correctly, I'm just like, this just adds to it. It 
it's not necessary, but it adds to it, and it, well, it, and it is, makes no, it a no, better movie. It is necessary. That we're in a movie where Latin, the speaking of Latin, is an important right. plot point. You have to have you understand how this. I mean, to me, like, look, I have to be completely honest with our audience here. Like, I, I am the least religious on of of the three of us. I, I have very little uh, appreciation for religion, but this movie made me understand religious people and religion a little bit a, a little bit more than i ever have before and you understand the power of the papacy in this sense that like these people are spread out all over the world you've got somebody in argentina the like as he says like the end of the earth um and he they, they come from everywhere to come together and 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 you know uh, and during the election of these cardinals like that was incredible they're from all yeah. over the world and they come and they vote for whoever to be the next Pope. And, and that person could come from Africa. That person could come from the southernmost part of, of uh, South Africa, South America. And I think that the, the, the use of different languages, just the, just the, the, the requirement that the Pope be able to speak both Latin and uh, uh, Italian and then whatever their native language is. It's, it's, I think that that's, that just adds to the complexity and richness of something that I, you know, foresee this movie didn't have a lot of respect for. And my, my mother's family is Catholic. (laughs) Sure. But they, they have a line in this movie where Jonathan Price, uh, admits that his Latin is terrible and and it's like an excuse for them to go and start to speak English together uh, or something like that. I don't remember exactly how the scene goes. And it's it's the, the same thing happens, funny enough, in Inglorious Bastards, the opening scene where Christoph Waltz says that he's exhausted his... His Perfect, French. Can uh, we, French. Right. Can we can we switch to English? So Which that is bullshit, now, as audience members, we can watch the rest of the scene in English. But it just takes a line of dialogue to to explain to us why we're watching, you know, French people and German people and you know speaking English but with of British they, accents. But and, of course, in that in, the, in, in that particular case, they switch to English for a plot reason. He doesn't want the, the people, exact, right, the, the French people Jews under, underneath the, the, it, the boards to be able to understand what he's saying. Exactly. But it's it's not there because it's it's not catering to their audience. And I think that's what bothers me with it. It's not so much that we can't have people speaking English in a movie about people from a different country. You know, it's, it's just the... It's catering to the audience. It's dumbing down the movie. And I feel like this movie doesn't do that, had no intention of doing it. And and I, I everything you said, Chapin, is true, but I, I don't agree with the fact that it was necessary. This movie could have existed. This movie could have probably been really good if they just spoke English all the time. Yeah. But it's better because they didn't. And I, I appreciate that. Well, before we move on, I, I do want to ask you. I did watch as a, as I do every holiday season. I'm just kidding. I watched uh, Schindler's List recently, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and and it is weird because they they are they are speaking in like their country's accents, but they're speaking in English. And then you've got but you've got little hints of like German and Polish like spread out throughout the movie. It's really odd, but it works for some reason. I'm not exactly sure, but. Um, I mean, does that film, for example, take? I mean, do you feel that way about? Should I? You know, I, I, don't I don't know how you know. You, I can't say that that movie is dumbed down for anybody. I don't. I don't know. I part of me feels like it's sort. I, this might sound, you know, hypocritical, but maybe that movie's subject matter is is so important 
and you know especially at the time it's the first movie that really you know came out in in you know showcased the holocaust in such a visceral way that it's important that it's in english so as many people as possible can see it i don't know that you know the two popes you could argue is got some important subject matter too so um i don't know the answer uh you know i i i, I recognize I, the flaw in my no no my i don't but i don't think it's up, a flaw but, here but let me ask let me rephrase that and jeremy you should weigh in too does it does it affect uh, I guess uh, oh, f- offend is not the right word, but does it does it raise your radar a little bit that this event that happened probably almost entirely not in English? Like, I mean, my guess is there was not any English spoken during the Holocaust, really. I mean, there was no reason to. Is then being done entirely in English. And in, in a world was- where... I mean, maybe it's more relevant now, you know, because the only real American element was that there was an American director, Steven Spielberg. But like, you know, let's take the two popes. You know, you go to Netflix now and you can select the reason the subtitles are in such sort of, you know, digital ugly form is that is that you is that you can watch these movies in any language. I mean, including right. Schindler's List. Like I remember Schindler's List had quite beautiful subtitles. <laughs> you watch cars. it you watched it in a different language. <laughs> yeah, you could watch it in a different language if you want to. And so because of that sort of international um you know, just in the ease that we can watch movies now in different languages and sort of how easy it is to watch a film like Inglorious Bastards, which is like I think over half in a different language. Like is it wrong, you know, should should Maybe like if Spielberg were to do another film of that same importance now, Schindler's List Two, Schindler's List Two, Return of Schindler, um, oh you know, should he have, should he do that in the Revenge of Isaac Stern? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is that I don't know. Uh, I will say this: I, 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 selfishly, I guess, just in terms of like the, you know, because I love Schindler's List, I think it's a great movie, and it's much more accessible for me to watch in English. I'm glad it's in English. Yes. I I feel like it probably is a better movie if it's in its native language. Yeah. Because it, it, it adds another element of authenticity to a movie that is arguably very authentic. Sure. So, interesting that we ended up on Schindler's List. It is a brilliant film. Yeah. Uh, can I ask one more question about this movie before we move on please yep. uh we we're sort of talking about it like it not that it was factual but that you know it was it's sort of this based in reality movie like that these conversations took place but in reality i don't think anybody knows that's a good point what actually happened what conversations took place what their relationship really is obviously we see some footage of the real francis and uh uh, what's his name? Benedict, um, you know, being friendly at the end. But most yeah, that, of this I loved is, that scene of them watching the World Cup game. It, well, no, I mean the real ones, like embracing. Oh, yeah, 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 the about. Live, yeah. The real footage of them, right. The real footage. But anyhow, like, most of this is conjectured. Like, the, I mean, which I think adds a level to the writing, the screenwriting in this. Um, because, you know... Because we don't, because we don't know what they actually talked about. You can, you know, you can make it a parallel or a parable a bit. Yeah, and I think they yeah. did a good job with that. Well, Jeremy, I think it takes an enormous amount of research, and you have to yeah. credit him for that because he has to know just about everything about these characters to sort of imagine what they would say to each other. 
Jeremy, you, I guess you probably didn't have time to listen to our Richard Jewell podcast, but um, we we were talking about like, you know, Lee asked a really great question about, um, you know, what role the filmmakers have in, you know, del- sticking to the true story when you're adapting something that actually happened. And I think my answer to that was, I think the most, really the most interesting thing you can do as a filmmaker, you know, at, for your, for selfish reasons, if, if for anything, but also, you know, in, in a way that we analyze films on a deeper level is to sort of, is this part of it, what you're describing? Like, what are these, you know, we know what happened. We know, we know how they got from A to B or from A to C or whatever, but, but filling in those gaps, the dialogue, the behind the scenes, what that looked like. I think that is the, the real work of filmmakers here. It's like, you know, you're, you are speculating of course, but that is the work. That's the good work. I agree. Here, you know, like totally. that's finding like a way to both be truthful, but also dramatic and find a way to, you know, through to say something. Exactly. Back to my original point to actually figure out a way to say something. And, if this movie had just stuck with facts, it wouldn't have been that interesting. It would have been that boring movie. I, I, I sort of questioned its relevancy at the beginning. But since the facts aren't the important thing, it's the it, it, it's making a relevant story and saying something, and that's what they were able to accomplish with this and why it is such a great film. Yeah, it's and interesting. That, the, the, the last four things that this writer has done have been these been real stories interestingly yeah. enough and and it's the focusing on a specific moment in time within these characters lives like this is i'm, I'm so glad this movie exists because it's going to probably prevent anybody from trying to do the pope francis biopic where we have to watch him be born in argentina and grow up and you know watch a two-hour <laughs> movie about the stuff that you would love you that, know right, <laughs> we flashed back to but this is the point and we i know me and tapin have talked about this before is that the, the where and this is not a biopic i don't think but where biopics work are when you do focus on a very specific moment. And this, the reason that this can be so successful is because he, we can learn so much about these characters through this, you know, very small, short moment in time where these two guys get together. And that's an, uh, an even a, an additional credit to the screenwriting in this movie that he was disciplined enough to say, look, like I, these are really interesting characters, especially, um, Borboglio and I, there's a lot I would like to tell about him but how can I do that in a way that you know is going to stay focused mm. I think it's interesting just as a final parting thought that we, we've been so excited for the Irishman and you know there's been a lot of hype about Marriage Story and then this little movie which actually is getting yeah, you, quite a bit of review, uh, review attention um, is but you can hear our excitement about yeah. it just in the way we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're with the it's... Irishman. We're also fucking exhausted after watching yeah. it. <laughs> All, All right. right. So uh, I miss, I was ready for Richard Jewell. I saw the movie and I missed it because Sarah was having uh, contractions. Uh, uh, so Wait a minute. We ended, up, <laughs> we ended up going to the hospital that night. Um, and, and then the next night having a baby. So uh, congratulations. Yes, thank you. Um, and uh, I did want to talk about it because uh, there was a, only a couple points I really wanted to bring up, and it seems like a lifetime ago I saw this movie, but... Um, Literally was somebody's lifetime ago. Somebody's Adeline's, lifetime ago. Adeline's well, it, was, lifetime it ago. was last decade, so... That's true. Uh, dad joke. Uh, <laughs> 
So uh, basically, there were points when I was watching this movie, I'm like, oh, crap, this might be the worst movie I've seen this year. <laughs> like, half, really? like through the first half of this movie. Um, it just seemed very stale and the writing uh the writing was boring and i, I don't know it, it found it found a way to pick itself up and i actually it, it, end of the day enjoyed the film and i think it's, it was definitely a story worth telling um but the big bright spot from it for me was uh paul walter hauser and i didn't watch your i mean listen to y- your review of it so i'm not sure how you guys felt about his performance but i absolutely loved it and it's maybe up until maybe the two popes uh (laughs) my favorite performance of the year um i think there's something just hugely uh empathetic about him as a character or as an actor i think um and i yeah, I thought that he really was able to get that empathy across for this character, um, and I just loved watching him. I wanted every scene, you know, to cut back to him. Um, so that's yeah. my two cents on I it. I mean, we we praised him equally, I think. Um, but I think what we sort of spent a lot of time on was how this movie was able to put so much like nuance and depth into that character, which was then elevated by Paul Walter Hauser's performance, but wasn't able to put any of that depth and nuance into the movie. Yeah, that's a great that's a, that's a great way to put it. But I think his per- performance carried the movie. Totally, yeah. And, and, and Kathy Bates is pretty good as well. Um, but I don't think she had as much to work with. But I think his performance gave it the gravity it needed to keep you engaged with that story. Um, and yeah. without him, I think it would have been a total disaster. Yeah, you're probably right. Okay, we did get a, right. we did get an email um, about the movie too, which I won't go through the whole thing. But did you forward um, that to us? I did. Oh. You guys just didn't read it. Well, um, it's it's winter vac. It's Christmas vacation. Jesus. Yeah, Christ. <laughs> we're not working. We Chapin um, has to watch Schindler's List. It talked a li- It just talked. It talked a lot about. Um, kind of Eastwood's kind of catering his movies to fit his, you know, conservative viewpoints. Um, Because we did talk about, like, sort of a a director's responsibility to adhere to the facts when telling a true story, and where does that fall in terms of importance versus the importance of just telling a good story, which is something that Eastwood has always been good at. And, you know, he and Chapin, you brought up some, you know, um, some things about American Sniper, where how that movie doesn't exactly portray the truth, and you know, maybe Richard Jewell doesn't quite do that either, where it really villainizes the FBI and the media and everything, where it, and it just makes Richard Jewell a, a, a hero that nobody can deny. And the only reason I think it's relevant bringing that up is because we just talked about the two popes, and you brought up that point about kind of telling this behind-the-scenes story about stuff that we don't really know what was said. And like I mentioned, like, the two popes is really disciplined and fair i think and i don't i'm not here to say whether richard jewell was fair or unfair uh but i think eastwood's you know track record maybe tells more than that specific movie does but i do think it's interesting when you have a movie that you know doesn't necessarily work so hard to make you root for one person or the other 
you, you know, end up with a better movie and a more interesting movie to watch. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. Nuclear Holocaust? No. Something worse. Um, all right, so our top five this week are our top five most anticipated movies of 2020. Oh, yeah. Baby. Um, I know we sort of on the text chain talked about maybe uh, keeping some out or not. I don't know where we landed on that, why I guess. Why don't we... I guess it's per person. You can decide. Correct. And if you decide to yeah. leave some out because you think they're just going to be on everybody's list, you can. And if not... Um, if you want to keep them there because you're so excited about uh, a Christopher Nolan movie, you can keep it. Um, <laughs> I mean, you all should be excited. Obviously. So, uh, that being said, Chapin, why don't you kick us off? Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I did leave on the Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and Lee and I, while we were waiting for you to get um, onto Skype, we were looking at some of these. That I The one thing I don't know, there might, it's possible that some of these might bleed into 2021. Um and that would not be good because we're trying to narrow the year down and we always go back to these lists. But um, I believe it is scheduled for just the end for like this, I think for Christmas 2020. And that's The Last Duel directed by Jeremy, Ridley Scott. You couldn't Scott, have me go first. Ridley Scott and starring and written by Ben Affleck and old Maddie Dames. Really? Yeah, I didn't even see that. And it's, you, you don't know, but you don't know if it's going to be this year. It, I mean, it's well, they it's, haven't started shooting yet, and it's 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 scheduled for a Christmas 2020 release. And if you look at it, it says it says 2020 on IMDb, but then it shows a re- like wide release date of 2021. So. Right, which makes sense because you you'd release it. You know, they they do that all the time where you release a movie and you know so it qualifies for awards, it then doesn't expand till later. Well, I'm not going to be a cheat and put this on my list now, but I think that's a great pick. Thank you. Uh, and it's like a, you can have it again, it, Lee. You can, you know, no, we're going to have yeah, repeats. That, no, that was going to be my number five. I, and uh, while I'm, I'm making adjustments here, I'm, I will say, like, I've, I've worked really hard at assembling this list because it's so hard this early in the year. I mean, we are at the very first day of 2020 to predict what we're going to see and what's going to be good. Um, for the remainder of the year. I mean, we did our most anticipated of 2019 twice. So, um, And I think we're going to have to do 2020 twice. Yeah. Right, well. maybe. But I, I want I want to be able to have this list and be able to go back and look and, and maybe see some of these movies in fixie consideration. That was my goal. Um, so uh, for my number five, I'm going to go with Dune, um, a movie that I have no interest in other than the fact that Denny Villeneuve is directing it. 
Sure. And I haven't seen the um, David Lynch Dune. I started it, maybe got 10 minutes in. It's so weird, and, like, the subject matter just doesn't interest me. So it's a tough one for me to get behind. But, I mean, this director is such a visionary. We love the movies that he makes. So I just am on board for what he chooses next. Um, you know, this has got, I think, a Christmas release next year. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't excited about it. I will say that um, th- I'm glad you put this on because I-, I was considering it as well. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I- I'm, I-, I guess I'm a little disappointed that, you know, I, I liked the Blade Runner 2049 um, re- or film a lot yeah. um but why is he doing this yeah but so I'm, I'm wondering yeah. a little bit why he decided to do it again uh, and you know i i'd love you know i don't know a lot about dune but i i, I have uh, some friends who really like the book and um you know fine but uh, you know you like you can i think of the of the last sort of three films he's made the 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 blade runner one was the least successful um, and I love the other two, so I I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not crazy about the fact that he's, you know, necessarily going down this road, but you know. Yeah, me either. But all right, Adeline, right, you're so, up. I mean, sorry, Jeremy, yeah, you're up. Yeah, she's still going. Um, That's all right. We don't mind having her. Uh, so my number five is a remake of the movie uh, Force Majeure. Did you guys see that one? Yeah, I saw the trailer uh, for this one. Yeah, this is called Downhill. It stars um, Will Ferrell and uh, Jul- uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I was wondering if um, this was a remake of that. Yeah, uh, I love that original, and I think this is great casting. It, it, you know, if they get it right, if they get the tone right without it being like too Will Ferrell-y. Um, Jeremy, can I ask you is the is the original film what do you know where it's from again? I want to say it was sounds like a Scandinavian uh, French, movie. but yeah, uh, hold on, Force Majeure. I, I guess it my, came out in two thousand and fourteen. Um, hmm. My question for you is is Swedish movie? Is it that funny? Yeah, it's Swedish. Uh, it wasn't. No, the 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 Swedish version was dark. Oh, it was. It's, it's advertised as dark. a comedy yeah, drama well, yeah. on IMDb. I don't remember it being that funny. I don't remember it being like a Lanthimo sort of dark funny. I remember it sort of being like cringy. Mm. Uh, God, I gotta see this movie. Cringy dark. But it was a good movie. Um, and I think, you know, if they get that if they get that tone right in the American one, which is going to be tough, um, it it it'll be good. All right, that comes out soon, right? Yeah, February. All right, so my turn? Yep. Okay, my number four is The Many Saints of Newark, <clears throat> which is a heard of this. prequel film for, of The Sopranos. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and, the, uh, you know, it's, it's, written by, um, it's written by David Chase, of course, and uh, yeah, it's it, is this uh, James Gandolfini's son playing? Yes, Tony Soprano. Uh huh. Interesting. And interesting. um, 
it's sort of focused on a character that you never met in the films, but or in the show, but heard a lot about. And I love The Sopranos, and I'm I'm really I'm really sort of interested that they're making this film. And I don't, it's not your sort of typical TV movie. And I think it's actually coming out in theaters, but I'm not sure. Um, so we'll see. You've right. watched all The Sopranos, right, uh, Japen? You many many like, times over. Yeah, many times. Okay. Why? I've watched about a season and a half. Well, you're an idiot if you haven't watched the whole thing. I don't know what to say that. Let's change the subject. <laughs> um, all right. My number four is The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah. Um, this is directed, about this written one. and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, stars Eddie Redmayne and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, I will say right off the bat, I really didn't like Molly's Game, which was Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, and I blamed him as a director for the... Um, uh, fact that that movie wasn't that good um, but I love him as a screenwriter um, this is the story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention seems like good material for him to write um, hopefully he can put it put the pieces together as a director here yeah I, him being the director is what kept it off my list oh yeah. really I mean I can totally understand that I mean I I think he fucked up Molly's game. Um, I actually didn't even... Whoa, there you go. So that's how Chapin feels about it. Uh, All right, so my number four, and it's a movie that uh, normally I don't think would appeal to me, but for some reason I watched the trailer uh, in my research for this and I thought it looked pretty interesting. Uh, It probably won't be on my, uh, when we we update these lists, but maybe, (laughs) who knows, it could be. Um, It is Antlers, uh, directed by Scott Cooper, Starring uh, Carrie Russell and Jesse Plemons. It looks like this sort of dark. I love the poster uh, for this movie. Yeah, it is a cool poster. But it's like a dark, almost monster movie. Um, And I think, you know, I think Scott Cooper's kind of hit or miss um, with his films. But he he definitely tries for a tone and a mood. And. We'll see. We'll see how we feel uh, when we do the when we do the list again. But for right now, that's my number four. Cool. Yeah. When I first when I first saw this, um, I was really excited, and then I don't know. The trailer turned me off to it a little bit, kind of the the you know horror aspect of it. But I don't know. It's interesting to see because he hasn't really dabbled in that genre yet. So excellent. We'll okay, my number three is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I, I thought about this. I am excited to see this. Come on. Jeremy, you should be excited too, Mr. Tom Cruise, best actor of 2018. Like, uh, the I, I am excited jitters. to see it, but I don't know about top five right now. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that was <laughs> what I thought about. I wasn't going to make my list because, like I said, like I'm really trying to make this a, a fixie predictor for 2020. And let's be honest, that's not going to be there, but I'm excited to see that movie, and I will be in the theater for it, for sure. Excellent. Hopefully not the um, Salem Theater. Yeah, because the audiences there are terrible. Three out of the last four movies. Um, my number three is a movie called Stillwater. This is directed by Tom McCarthy, um, probably best known for directing Spotlight. Um, stars Abigail Breslin and Matt Damon. And it's about a father traveling from Oklahoma to France to help his daughter who has been arrested for murder. 
Uh, I like Tom McCarthy's movies. He's also he's done um he he's done a lot of indie movies. He did The Station Agent, which is a nice little movie. He did this movie called Win Win. Uh, he did The Visitor. That was a movie with uh, Richard uh, Richard Jenkins, right? Is that his name? Yeah, Richard Jenkins. That was really good. So doesn't direct a lot. He's also you know you see him as a character actor pop up here and there. Um, but look, he makes good movies, and I think the cast here is good. Yeah, could be interesting. Something different. Damon usually picks pretty good roles. Yeah. Uh, all right, that was your number three, right, Lee? Yes, sir. All right, so I'm going to go with uh, a little movie called Tenet, oh. <laughs> uh, directed by Christopher Nolan. I Yeah, I debated uh, keeping it off the list, and then, um, yeah, I mean, here it is, number three. It's not number it's one. It's interesting that it's your number three, yeah. Number three, uh, the trailer actually took it down a peg for me. It's not the Inception uh, trailer. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't blow your mind. It, don't, it doesn't give almost anything away, which probably in the end is good, and it doesn't hype you up yeah. to unrealistic standards. Like a movie uh, like Inception. <laughs> exactly. And then you watch the trailer, you know, 1,400 times before you go see the movie. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that's maybe that's a good thing, but anything obviously Nolan is going to do, we're going to go see. We're going to go see right away, uh, and this is no exception. Okay, I'm sure it'll be on uh, Chapin's list later. <clears throat> okay, is it my turn? Yes. My number, number two. two is a film called Mank. Ah, oh, you uh, asshole! You I knew son that was of a bitch. Be on your list. Yeah, well, it's my number... I'll just say it right now. It's my number two as well. And this is a film directed by our beloved David Fincher. And God, I got it is about the hard writing... I thought he was directing a movie. The writing of Citizen Kane, starring Herman Ugh. Mankiewicz. And it looks I mean, like... This it's is just it, like cinematic jerk-off. It's it not like, starring Herman Mankiewicz. No, no, but it's about him. And Gary Oldman yeah. plays him. And it looks like it's going to be shot in black and white, which is really cool. Um, it's yeah. currently filming, so it'll be filming for the next six months. <clears throat> yeah, so maybe they'll miss that release date. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't really heard anything about this movie except for a couple of rumors. And so it's I'm excited to see Fincher behind the... You know, like, I, I like uh, Mindhunter, but man, I mean... I just want to see him make movies, you know. I'm right, uh, totally. I felt that way when he. I heard that rumor about him working on a on a project, uh, like a prequel project for TV for the for Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, okay, that could be cool. Like, but make a movie, Fincher. Like that's yeah. what I want. So I was so excited when I saw this. Um, and the subject matter, so yes, so great. I mean, to make a, mo- uh, a movie about Citizen Kane, to film it in black and white, yep. to have David Fincher do it. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. Um, all right, my number two is Chaos Walking. Um, this is directed by Doug Lyman, and it is written by Charlie Kaufman, uh, somebody that has not gotten a lot of work in the last decade. Uh, this is about a future uh, where... Oh, this film uh, is in dystopian real world where no women are that where there are no women, and all living creatures can hear each other's thoughts in a stream of images, words, and sounds called noise. So 
don't know, sounds like a Kaufman plot. Um, it stars Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland and Mads Mikkelsen. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, Doug Liman, you know, take him or leave him. I, I, he makes good movies. Um, one of our favorites of all time. So, but Lee, Charlie Kaufman script. Have you read any of the... So, this this has been this movie has been in big trouble production-wise. Really? Yeah, it had really it's in post. horrible um, tests. It was supposed to come out this year, or last year, rather. Um, and it it wrapped principal action in November 2017. Oh my god! Really? Um, and it had terrible test screenings, and now they they went back for reshoots in April. So oh boy, that's not a good sign. No, not at all. Well, I did have well, another. There isn't. I had two Kaufman movies on on my uh, radar. Well, here. before you get to that, that's my number one. Is is oh, is uh, I'm, I'm thinking think- of ending things. Okay, is Charlie Kaufman director and the writer of? I mean. Basically, if Kaufman's going to make something, he doesn't make stuff very often. And, uh, you know, like he's made some of my favorite movies of all time between Adaptation and Eternal Sunshine. Um, So I got to give it, you know, if he's going to come out with a new movie, uh, it's going to go to the top of my list. Uh, But he doesn't have a great track record as a director. I mean, he only has four credits. yeah, what else? Well, really, Synecdoche, only. I mean, New York. Synecdoche, New York, and he did uh, Anomalisa a few years ago, which is an animated oh, movie. Right. But that was is, supposed to be really good. It's okay. I never I mean, saw it. It's interesting. I saw it. It's okay. Um, and then there's a TV movie in there, but um, this is only his fourth directing. Thing. I guess. So I guess it may be too early to tell. I mean, I you know. It also um, has Jesse Plemons in it, who I love. Um, I don't know. I I think it. You know. Yeah. You're just hoping for that Kaufman magic. And Tony Collette. To yeah. hit. Um, so that's my that's my number one. Great. It looks like it's going to be my number two. Your number two, two, your number two was, uh, was Mank, right? Yeah, correct. So All right. we'll just so go Chapin, ahead. So, Chapin, your number one? Uh, was Tenet. Tenet. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll make a switch here. My number one will be the movie called The Untitled Paul Thomas Anderson Project. Yeah, and the reason I put that on my list is because it's still untitled. I don't know if it's going to come out this year. Yeah. It just seems. I think to it ha- doesn't it have a release date. Off. I thought it had a release date. I don't think so. I thought I read somewhere that it had a it, it got a release date, but maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. I know it doesn't say on IMDb, so it would if it. it and it has have... nobody. It has nobody cast on IMDb. It seems like it it'll be a long shot to actually come out this year. Um, but if it does, of course, that's going to be probably on the next list. Yep. Um, good yeah. lists, guys. I mean, yeah. These are, this looks, it sounds like an exciting year. To. Yeah. Uh, can I I had, have a, there's an honorable mention I definitely want to talk about. I had several quick. I wanted to bring up. Yeah, please. Okay. Well, mine was New Mutants. Oh, that's right. That's finally coming Josh out. Josh Boone. <laughs> A movie I worked on before I was married, and now I have a child. Uh, and just making sure they get it right. Yeah, apparently there's a trailer coming out in three days, and it's going to be released in April. So we'll see. And that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. We'd love to hear from you at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Um, and until next time, thanks. <laughs> I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.